As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It is Thursday and it's Adam Leventhal here to round up the key stories of the past week and point you in the direction of the coverage on The Athletic at the moment, which currently has the deal of the year on for new subscribers. Just £1 per month for 12 months. All you need to do is go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. And if you've not taken the plunge yet... I strongly advise you to do it now because it's a really, really good deal. This is the time to do it. On the agenda, on this episode, we're going to be reflecting on that wonderful 4-1 demolition job on Manchester United and the incremental improvements that we're seeing under Claudio Ranieri. We'll be digging into the finances. We'll be talking Zinkenagel as well and answering some of your questions as well. Uh, Dave and Mike are with me once again on the day that Watford announced that Elton John is going to be playing two concerts at Vicarage Road in July next year. Exciting times, Dave. Are you, are you already ready? Are you already sort of getting ready with your spangly clothes? I am very much ready. I, I'm already planning my strategy to try and get tickets. Seeing, seeing <laughs> as I'm not a season ticket holder, I'll be in like the second group of people to, to, to be able to get tickets. And my mum has already messaged me several times, very anxious that I managed to get hold of a few tickets because she still lives in Watford just around the corner from the stadium so she could probably sit in the garden and hear it actually yeah you don't even need yeah. a ticket <laughs> and Mike you as well you're 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 I would have thought you're you're already there aren't you don't go breaking Cathcart <laughs> I if I try. yeah I cannot I cannot wait I am actually genuinely super super excited for this I felt strangely emotional about it actually I was sort of all being, being Elton's last tour him being able to sort of be with the fans to almost celebrate last year because he was there wasn't he to celebrate the the promotion with the with the players as we saw but it feels like this is a real good chance for us to have a have a bit of a shindig with um, with someone who's really important to us so I can't wait the thing about yeah. the, the thing about the farewell tour is god love him elton um we could probably get relegated and promoted again by the time it's over <laughs> <laughs> it's stretching into like 2023 isn't it i think people I bought tickets years ago for this thing 
bless him. Yeah. But it is it's great that he's going to be yeah. uh, back at Vicarage Road. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because there was always a little bit of uncertainty. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And finally, to get it nailed down is, is really, really good news. And it will, I guess it will be what probably even, an even better atmosphere, if that is possible, than uh, after the, the victory over Manchester United at the weekend, which was which was brilliant. And obviously, you know, you guys, I, I listened to the podcast, the last one after that win, and it was great to sort of soak, soak it all up and the excitement and, and the and the, your voices as well, which were struggling after shouting so much. But it was it was um, it was a great performance, and I obviously then dug into it afterwards for for the athletic to just try and sort of analyze exactly what had happened. And I think one of the key things that I found, and, and I sort of c- compared what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had said and Claudio Ranieri had said, and they'd actually said very very similar things. You know, we've been working on things in the international break, we've done well, and hopefully it will all kick on. And that's what they said prior to the game. But then only one of them, one of the head coaches or one of the managers actually showed that the the players essentially had been listening to what they'd been saying because it was chalk and cheese between the two sides. And a lot of the attention will have been on, you know, Manchester United being architects of their own downfall and all that sort of stuff. But the way that Watford played and the work that they've been doing, especially impressing which is one of the key things that they've been doing a lot of uh, during the international break it really really showed and I and I spoke to Tom Cleverley after the game as well and he spoke about the fact that they'd been sort of Ranieri had been trying to sort of tap into their psychology a bit and building on the encouraging signs that that we'd seen at the Emirates even though they they'd lost and just just trying to be more positive more forward movement attacking the space and I'll get your guys' thoughts on it in a moment, but wasn't it great to see Imran Loser playing like the player that we'd all imagined he was going to play? Deep lying, perfect. Will Hughes' replacement, and he did his job really, really well. So overall, and you can read all about it in detail on The Athletic in that article, it just came together very, very well due to the hard work that they've been doing on the training pitch. Dave, do you, do you concur? Yeah, it's really good to see. Obviously, an amazing afternoon full of drama and and you know narrative in from every angle really um it's been the biggest story of the week you know well we 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 set in motion the biggest story of the season really but very very encouraging to see all of those things and it 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 does seem that now we're we're what how how many weeks are we into Ranieri's reign are we about six weeks into his reign something like that it seems a seems a lot longer really doesn't it but we're finally seeing his you know some of his methods start to come to fruition a little bit more we we've talked about in, on numerous occasions about his record it, most recently with Sampdoria in Italy and how there was a big focus on pressing and they were very intense and they were one of the best pressing teams in Syria for his time there and we hadn't really seen that we'd seen little signs that it was that it was happening in the first few games but it's it's obviously something that it does take time and it, and the players need to take time to kind of learn the system together because obviously it's it's a it's a it's a collective thing that everyone needs to be in harmony with it's, it's you know and some people might take to it quicker than others so maybe you you're waiting the effectiveness is kind of waiting for maybe those who are slower to take to it to catch up but it was just it was obviously just a perfect storm of of Ranieri's sort of focus and plans clicking into place on Saturday but coming up against a team who are you know were just in a complete disarray and were completely shambolic and you know all played out as we know it played out but it's as we'll talk about later on in the pod it's a different challenge against against Leicester they're not in great shape themselves but not quite as sort of badly disorganized as Manchester United were. 
Ad, I'm glad to hear you say that Inman Loser uh, played well. Because I guess that's why we sold Will Hughes. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the pressing thing is, is, is exciting to me because it felt like I obviously wasn't there. I missed the game. Um, that's probably why we won. The last home game I missed was, uh, was another sort of oh, instantly Mike. forgettable game. Uh, Watford 3, Liverpool 0. That you was know, the last well, time that's I was it, isn't it? That's it. You can't go again. Well, I did say, if, if I, I half jokingly actually said, I'm going to set up a GoFundMe to keep me sort of put up in, in, in nice hotels when Watford have big games. I'll, I'll, I'll take one for the team, but you guys are going to have to pay for me to stay in nice hotels. But, and I am genuinely only half joking, but with the press, it sounded like in reading the piece ad, it just felt like they were pressing but also doing it in a much more tactically astute and planned way. And, and it struck me watching the highlights back, which I have done on, on numerous occasions, uh, that the, the press seemed to surprise Manchester United. And perhaps that, that tells its own story. Yes, Man United are in, in a bit of disarray, as Dave rightly says. But they will have watched Watford and probably thought, well, yeah, this is what they try to do, but they're not really managing to do it. Because whilst there have been green shoots they haven't been really that impressive so far so I think the fact that they were able to press and to do it with that tenacity and, with, and backed up with with a plan and some tactics I, I like the the words the phrase that you used in the piece about triggers because that means it's it feels like it's planned it feels like right if that happens this happens if that then this and that's what Watford have to do especially when they're coming up against um up against teams that are that are basically better than them. I always remember Troy Deeney telling us about how he didn't particularly get on with um, uh, with, with with Matsari, but his tactical approach to the game against Arsenal in, in the week leading up to it, he said, right, if this happens, do that. If he's there, you be there. And they sort of scratched their heads a little bit. And then when it came to the game at the Emirates, they were able to do it. And it feels like perhaps with all Claudio Ranieri's experience, with his attention to detail, which again comes through in the piece ad, it feels like perhaps... It, it all clicked into place on, on Saturday. So it all comes together. And yes, Man United were worried in, in a poor, poor shape. I thought, you know, I thought Harry Maguire's sending off was, was petulant and poor. And I thought that probably summed up where they were at as a team. But we still had to deal with a, a team that is chock full of, of internationals and superstars. And they did it. And they did it in a way that felt like it was planned. Uh, and that plan came together, which was hugely hugely encouraging and it's and it speaks to Claudio Ranieri having time with with this squad with this side the other thing that I really really liked in the in the piece ad was that line we've got the ability we need the application and that really felt like the first time that we had the had both from 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 start to finish yeah I I think that's I think that's very true and I think that you know now they need to build on it once again and show that that is the the benchmark and it was interesting from from Tom Cleverley when he said you know and you know have a, almost a nod to to Matt Sari that you mentioned there before Mike is that he said like with any Italian coach that I've had it's very structured it's very black and white with and without the ball and it's more the basics of football and it's that joined up thinking and one of the images that I, I enjoyed sort of going through the um going through the footage you know really 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 detailed there's there's one still image where Harry Maguire, who basically played like a, a broken robot for the for the entire game and was sort of just falling apart in front of us. You know, he's obviously just about to be closed by Tom Cleverley, who sensed, you know, that trigger. And there's a ring of, you know, it's almost like a pincer grip around uh, Tom Cleverley 
sort of almost saying, look, we've got your back, you know, of Dennis, King, Sissoko, Loser and Cucho. And that's the organisation that Watford want and they now need to kick on with that. Obviously, what will be disruptive to that is the selection issues that Watford will have for the game against Leicester. And yeah. I think, you know, a lot of the questions that, that came in, and thank you very much for sending them in on, on Twitter, are, you know, what's going to happen with, with Ishmael Assar? What do we know, Ed? Well, at the moment, it, it, it's... It's not looking great because there is there's clearly uncertainty. The, you know the initial um, the initial sort of prognosis at the game was oh he didn't have any sort of, he didn't have an ice pack on his knee he was you know on the sidelines at the end of the game it didn't look like he was you know particularly stricken but I would have thought they would have done further assessments and it's not looking likely at the moment that he's going to play against Leicester. But we'll get almost like a a definitive answer from Claudio Ranieri tomorrow. Because usually we would know by now, because we'd be playing on on Saturday and they would have had the press conference today on Thursday. Um, But that extra day means that they've probably had an extra day just to assess it, see how he goes. And it might be that they think, right, if, if in any doubt... Let's leave him out against Leicester and then hopefully he can be back against Chelsea and Manchester City. But yeah, it, at the moment, it's, it's, well, that's it's an, uncertain. That's interesting though, right? Uh, like there's, a, there's, a, there's a strange conundrum there. In a way, I'd rather he played against Leicester. If they, I'd rather they patched him up and put him out against Leicester because the best will in the world, I know how well we played against Manchester United, but we ain't going to get any points against Chelsea and Manchester City, are we? So bench him for those ones if you want to give well, him a breast. Well, you never know. You never know. I know, I know, I know. I know. Chelsea, you know. But I mean, it, who, who knows? They are who so knows? good. I watched yes, both of I them know. last week and they're just, it's a walk in the park for them at the moment. They're yeah. just they're such yeah. a cut above. Like Chelsea played Leicester, in fact, last Saturday and it was just, they three. They, it was 3-0, but they scored three goals in the second half, which are all marginally correctly called offside by VAR. But basically, you know, the, the, the nature of the play meant that they could have easily been 6 or 7-0 up. They were so good. And, you know, and we know we know that we just can't really ever lay a glove on Manchester City. Um, so yeah, I mean it's kind of a bit of a cliched old situation. Of course, you want your best players playing in every game, really. But but the, the Leicester game is a big opportunity for us this weekend, I think, because they are not the team at the moment that they've been in the last few seasons. You know, they won the FA Cup last season. They've been twice actually they've blown the top four twice in the last two seasons when they probably should have should have finished in there but they're obviously up there and playing really well and attracting a lot of admirers they've got injury problems and it just doesn't seem to be quite all hunky-dory there in terms of their team at the moment and it's an opportunity for us to go to the to the king power and 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 get something get a point at least i think yeah, yeah there were some interesting quotes from um from Telemans, I think it was in the week, who who used the phrase sort of, we've been overachieving in the past couple of years and yes, we're going to try and carry on doing that well. But it almost, it, that spoke to the feeling perhaps in the, I thought it was quite telling. It spoke to, to how perhaps the players are feeling that they're feel, perhaps feeling the pressure of, of what's happened at, at the King Power over, over, the, over recent history. And everyone has sort of talked about them breaking into that, that top four almost as being a, an elite side and whether that's sort of weighing a little bit heavier heavy on them at the moment for, for a player to say we've been over overachieving I thought was was interesting and I wondered if that did show a little a little crack and and whether we might have more of a chance 
um, on on Sunday than, than we might ordinarily have, have thought. So yeah, we're we're heading up there. Sorry, everyone. Um, but yeah, I'm, you, I'm you know, going. Mike, that's just the sound of me go, logging onto Airbnb there for you. Just <laughs> see if I can find you a quick mini break at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, look, yeah, even if you do turn up, there is still a chance. There is still a ch- chance that Watford can get something uh, at the King Power Stadium because they've not been in good form. Um, they've also got a game, you know, they've got, they're spinning the plates in terms of European football, playing in the Europa League on Thursday nights, which is also disruptive as well. You mentioned Tielemans there. He's, he's a player that isn't going to be playing against Watford too. So fingers crossed for Sunday and trying to build on that performance against Manchester United once again. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. So prior to the Manchester United victory, I think it's fair to say that there was a little bit of a, a kerfuffle, a bit of a kerfuffle on, on social media about a loan that had been taken out by Watford and it was secured against Vicarage Road. And everyone just got a little bit worried, a little bit worried about what that meant. What did it actually mean? And on the Saturday morning, I, I take it as the inspirational Saturday morning article that everyone got everyone in the mood for the Manchester United game. Digging deep into the financial details, it was it was it was one that I enjoyed doing because I did feel like it, it was almost needed because there was a lot of uncertainty. And what I was able to find out, and you can read the article on the Athletic, um, it was a loan taken out by Macquarie, which I understand its value is fifty million pounds, and they have to pay that off over five years. And yes, it is secured against the stadium, but previous loans um, and uh, an overdraft, for example, which has also been been cleared now, have been previously secured against the stadium. Now, if they'd taken on a fifty million pound debt in addition to the seventy million pound debt that they they already had currently to existing lenders, then you'd be thinking, hang on a minute, this this makes us look really, really fragile. But in the process of looking into the art, uh, looking into the the details, I also found out the fact that they have actually cleared an enormous amount of debt, seventy million pounds worth. So they've replaced a seventy million pound debt with a fifty million pound debt, and they've done that in far more secure financial waters because they are a Premier League team and they're guaranteed, you know, £100 million at least, even if it goes tits up at the end of the season. If they can stay up, they can budget for, you know, uh, £200 million over the next two seasons. So they've done it in in a more secure way. And by cleaning up the debt, I suppose is the best way of of putting it, they've made themselves more attractive to any prospective investors and we know that there are a lot out there we've seen a you know a similar situation at West Ham they've taken on a, a minority shareholder but with a decent decent stake 
and that's something that Watford, and this hasn't really changed over the last couple of years, it's, it's well known that Watford would take on a strategic partner that might then become a, you know, a senior stakeholder in the club in the future. But at the moment, if they can say, right, well, we've taken out a £50 million loan, that could be either a, a loan partner or an actual real partner. And that, that loan debt could actually be replaced by some equity um, going in the other direction to a new investor. So I think at the moment, my reading of the situation is that it's, it's not something to worry about, but it is worth looking at because we've seen previously when they have been relegated, they did get into some financial straits. That was highlighted by the, the FIFA arbitration panel, which highlighted that they did miss a couple of um, payments, interest payments and, and an actual stage payment on the Ismail Assar transfer. So, I mean, it's all it's all detailed in the article. But I think, you know, fr- from my point of view, I did want to look into it because you, you do worry, but hopefully sort of come out of it and given some sort of confidence to fans that it, it's not too much to worry about. It's actually potentially going to put Watford in on a better financial footing in, in the near future. There was a wonderful line by um, Matt Slater, I think it was, who said, uh, the sun's been shining, so so Watford have fixed the roof. And that immediately <laughs> put my, my, my mind at rest, basically saying that, you know, Watford, are, as you said, I, I just then, as you say in the article, Watford are on a much sounder financial footing and they've used the situation they're in to, to reduce the debt, which wasn't immediately obvious, was it? And, and I think what the thing that it's brought home to me is... Probably, to be perfectly frank, how little I know about the actual cost of running um, running a football club, what the what the weekly, monthly, yearly costs are actually are for for a Premier League club and a, and a club like Watford. It was fascinating. There was the um, the business of sport podcast on the Athletic, and they have is, is it was it John Texter who's taken over. Uh, he's invested in in Crystal Palace. And it really worth really worth listening to. Really sort of articulate, interesting chat with a with a fascinating background and and a real interesting insight into what life's actually like at, at Crystal Palace, another another um, Premier League side whose revenue is is limited by the by the size of the club. So well worth listening to in, in that regard. He's, yeah, he's exactly investment... the sort of bloke that would end up investing in Watford. It, 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 yeah. you know, Gino wants to bring someone else in. It'll be a figure like that. It'll, you know, because it's not. It, it, we're we're not going to be unless something mad happens. It, we, we're not sort of club that will get bought out by a sovereign wealth fund. You know, by one of these mad sort of middle east middle east states or something like Newcastle. We're we're probably if we are going to attract any investment, it'll be from you know maybe US or from another nation, but somebody with a lot of wealth, but not untold riches, but somebody with enough money that wants to get involved in something and try and grow that and make that make a return on that investment and it'll be that sort of person so it's worth listening to just to get a bit of an insight into the minds of the sort of people who operate in football and who are who are prepared to come into football clubs now and try and make some money and try and you know try and improve things yeah money and acumen I think is that is the key thing there he, he was evidently incredibly switched on about about the way that the world is, the world is moving in terms of technology and and broadcasting and and what the audience is like what supporters want from from their football club so fascinating listen but it was the actual the actual figures. So I think it was ninety million quid, and I think he's got an eighteen percent something like that stake in in Crystal Palace. So that's 
almost a fifth of the of the club and and some pretty hefty um, hefty influence for 90 million quid which i haven't got down the, the back of the sofa but doesn't strike me in, in in the world of the premier league and 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 big business and football as that much as ludicrous as that may be to to say and and as I thought it through, I thought, well, come on, Mike, 90 million quid is 90 million quid, and it's, it's an extraordinary amount of money. But I have this sort of, as a supporter, just a, a sort of latent feeling that there's just loads of money in the Premier League and the figures are huge. And I just, I did, I, it made me realise I don't actually know what the running costs are. And in turn, as a supporter, how do we, what, are our, what is our understanding and what is our... Expectation, because one of the other things that, that that John Texter said was that sustainability versus progress is something that all all supporters want, but that they by their very definition are almost competing, and I think a light bulb went off in my mind that probably just to pay a, try and pay a little bit more attention to the actual costs and the realities of of finance because I think that can help um, that can help inform my understanding of where Watford are as a club and where football is a, as, a, as a sport and an industry. Uh, and I think the, the reason that the, take it down to brass tacks, the reason that there were people worried is because people care really deeply. And I think a lot of people ask the question, will you be looking into this? And I think we have done, and you have done, Ad, it's a really good explainer. Um, and I think the answer is don't, obviously don't panic, but do take a do take an interest and perhaps I think try and weigh right everything to worry. Up. I think people are right yeah. to worry at the first sight of it, particularly because the stadium is mentioned, that the, 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 the loan or whatever is leveraged against the stadium. Because that immediately just your mind quite naturally goes to the worst case scenario sometimes and thinks, well, what if it all goes tits up and we have to sell the stadium and that is the sort of road that leads you down to somewhere you don't want to be you know maybe having to leave Vicarage Road or I mean basically that's kind of how clubs like like Wimbledon got into trouble and you know not owning your own place and you know Charlton have had it in the past and you know the Derby have had a situation recently with their stadium and they've got points deductions all over the shop and it, it ain't good you know you want to be owning your stadium as sort of a bare kind of minimum sort of thing for any sort of healthy successful football club so I think people are right to like raise alarm bells but Thankfully, Adam and Matt Slater and others at the Athletic, you've you've done the done the legwork, and it does seem that like we can we can rest easy for now. Yeah, and I think you know just a final point on this. It's important to rem- remember, obviously, you know, as as Matt said, you know, when the sun is shining, you can you can do good things, and it feels a lot easier to do it without the weight of relegation and, and real financial pressure on your shoulders. But a lot is dependent on what happens on the field and staying in the Premier League, yes, but also how your players perform. And Watford have shown previously that they do have that second pool of players at Udinese, which they can move players around and they can sell accordingly. But they also do have players very much defined as Watford players like Ismail Assar, you know, like maybe Imran Loser in the future or Joshua King or Emmanuel Dennis or, or whoever it is, where they can actually go, well, this is our guarantee of filling a a, a hole, financial hole, if we need to, if we are relegated. And they haven't cashed in on on a few of those players as yet. So they've got that as a safety blanket too. But as long as they stay in the Premier League, things will be far easier and they will be able to service a debt of £50 million over the course of five years far easier as 
as you would imagine. So if you do want to read the piece and you haven't quite caught up on that because something else pretty significant, let's be honest, happened on on Saturday. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Um, and we've already talking about we've already spoken about it. Do head on to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. And if you haven't been part of The Athletic yet, do get stuck into this deal because it is really a, a, a great deal to, to take advantage of. It's a Black Friday deal. It runs out on Monday. Uh, one pound per month for 12 months subscription. So get involved at The Athletic forward slash rookery end. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Now, I wanted to deal with um, some of your questions uh, in a moment's time, but I wanted to just update you on a piece that is dropping on The Athletic on Friday. And uh, I managed to sort of crowbar into a, a social trip that I was going on in Nottingham, where I used to go to university, and one of my mates is a, is a Nottingham Forest fan. I took him to Nottingham Forest against Luton Town and I was all in as a Forest fan for that <laughs> evening. I'm so I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear that because when I saw you post a picture from from the city ground watching Luton, I thought I thought, oh no, what's happened? <laughs> yeah. he's, he's cheating on us. <laughs> he's he's, he's turned. A massive he's crisis. been turned. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh no, no. I was. It was. Per, it was the perfect storm. Um, or, or the game was a was a bit rubbish to be honest it was nil nil but thankfully thankfully uh Brees Samba in goal brilliant goalkeeper by the way at, at Forest saved um saved a penalty so Luton were were all disappointed so that was great to see but I was able to keep an eye on Philip Zinkenagel and it was good to see him playing in a in a different coloured shirt and in a role that he considers himself to be far more suited to than the one that he was sort of crowbarred into when he was playing for Watford, which was basically as one of those two eights ahead of Will Hughes, who was playing as a six. And that wasn't really the role that he wanted to be playing in. He wanted to either be playing wide or, as he is now with Nottingham Forest, playing as a number 10. And although, you know, it's it's interesting watching someone play in a, in a, in a different position, but also play for a different quality of side and Forrest at the moment they're not a great side they haven't really got much quality in attacking positions and I, I still sort of wait to see Zinkenagel being given an opportunity to play in an attacking position in a Watford shirt surrounded by better players and I think that he would really sort of come to the fore in that however I was able to catch up with his his dad Torben Zinkenagel and uh, learn a little bit about his sort of family background and the way that he has he has sort of tracked his progress all the way from from being a kid and there's some there's some nice pictures in the piece that I've dropped in uh, and it's all out on on Friday on the Athletic and you just get a bit more of an understanding from you know a, a familial 
perspective of, you know, when your son is abroad, you know, obviously he was playing for Berder Glimt, which is in Norway, which is already abroad from from Denmark, his his home, um, and now being away in England, so much has happened over the past year, and he's he's only been able to watch him online. He's not actually been able to watch him in the flesh, but he is actually heading over um, soon because obviously now crowds are back. So so that is good. So yeah, enjoy that because it's it's just a sort of a progress report on Zinkanagel, who's pretty much going to be sticking with Nottingham Forest, as I understand it, for the full season, and then we'll see where he is um, by next summer. You, so you yeah, me- you mentioning you mentioning that uh, ad, watching him online, it just oh god, it just brought me shuddering with the thought of just logging on to bloody Hornet Hive and watching some terrible midweek game last well, I season. I don't know you get, what, what are you talking about, man. I logged on to watch the Watford Man United from a very very nice hotel in uh, in Cornwall online on uh, on Saturday. <laughs> and it was all rather splendid, mate. But what what I was what I was going to say about the the piece was an in, really interesting line. It's more of a hypothetical question, just to leave leave dangling. Perhaps, but there was a, a line from 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 uh, Philip's dad where he said that Forrest have talked to him a lot more about where he wants to play and have tried to tried to do that as a um, uh, to, together to work out where where he's best suited. And it did strike me as to whether that would be possible or even uh, you know whether that would be possible at Watford, bearing in mind the model. You know that that Watford bring in a player on the basis that they, they're going to be this particular piece in the jigsaw, don't they? And so whether having arrived at Watford, whether there ever is that opportunity to say, well, actually, you know, I prefer it playing deeper, playing whatever. And it just struck me as to whether that might be one of the more difficult things to manage of the of the Watford model, perhaps just something to... We've definitely to, seen it in the past, ponder. haven't we? Seen it in the past yeah. with players who've come in and maybe wanted to play one position and got put in a different one. Um, Hirado is uh, springs to mind in in Kike's yeah. Yeah. first season. Um, similar sort of player, really, I guess. But I, I've got a good a good friend of mine is a Nottingham Forest fan. I've been I've been sort of keeping keeping tabs on Zinkanagel via him, and he's been very complimentary. He, he, he's been a real hit, I think, at the City Ground. I think the fans have really taken to him. He's he's had a real positive impact on that side. He's scored goals. He's got assists in, in decent numbers uh, I think he's doing well under the new manager as well and then they, they obviously they sat Chris Hewton replaced him with with, um, with Steve Cooper and I think he's enjoying that as well and it's interesting you know I my my mate is sort of willing us to stay up because he's of the opinion whether that's this is right or wrong that if we get relegated there's more chance that Zinconagel comes back and I suppose that's probably probably a fair assumption um so be the, the big question here is really do we ever think we'll see the bloke in a Watford shirt again another interesting line that you, you spoke to someone at Forest Adam I know for the for the piece and they said they want more from him Dave obviously you've got the got the line from the terraces which is which is glowing but Forest are asking asking for more in terms of consistency and the other thing is bearing in mind what we spoke about last week in terms of peak age he's 27 as well so you know is he is he in his peak is he past his peak is he is he showing enough to be to be a premier league um, midfielder and a Premier League midfielder that sort of gets to dictate where he plays. So lots of open-ended questions. Sorry, I'd interrupted. No, not at all. I think, but I think that that's the thing that that is difficult for him. That initially, when he came in at Watford, obviously his ideal position and where he'd been, you know, pulling up trees for Boda Glimt was playing on the right-hand side. Of was lumberjack? A, oh no, <laughs> of a four-two-three-one, um, and he was never being able to. He was never going to get that opportunity at Watford, so he had to sort of be playing out of position. 
and then that was it. That was also in the championship, which is which isn't you know it's a bit more of a just a, a wrestling match at times in that midfield area. So he's 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 not had an opportunity yet to play in the. I don't know, maybe the sort of the, the the cleaner the cleaner sort of pastures of of the Premier League, where it is a little bit more laid out at times tactically, and maybe he might have an opportunity to to do that down the line if if some spaces are freed up in that Watford attacking unit. But as I line it up in the in the piece, there's a hell of a lot of players competing for those attacking positions at the moment, so it's going to be very very tough for him. But if it doesn't work out. You know, with going back to Watford, he's still going to have four years left on his contract. So Watford are actually in quite a strong position in terms of resale value or him going out on loan again, maybe with an option or whatever it is. So I think it's just going to be interesting to see how it how it all pans out. But the more goals, the more assists, you know, the more popular that he becomes at at Nottingham Forest, it's it, it's it's of benefit to Watford, whatever the outcome. So. We'll be watching it very, very closely indeed. I mean, he scored a, he scored a great goal against um, Reading, by the way. Brilliant, picking up on the on the left inside left position, cut in once on his shoulder, down, dropped his shoulder twice, finished right footed into the bottom corner. It was a, it was a really good goal. So we've seen him doing what we were expecting him to be able to do at Watford, but he didn't really get the opportunity in the position that he wanted to be in. Um, so yeah, you can read that piece out on Friday on The Athletic. There is also another piece that dropped earlier on this week, um, which sort of got, I, I guess, sort of overshadowed by everything that was going on um, at Manchester United with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, being sacked. But Andy Mitten, my colleague at um, at The Athletic, who covers Manchester United very closely, actually caught up with Etienne Capou. And he spoke about um, his, his time, predominantly, you know, getting back up to the levels that he he thinks he should be at playing for Villarreal in Spain and you know winning the Europa League and all that sort of stuff but he did also touch on his time at Watford um and all basically feeling like yeah I shouldn't have been playing in the championship and it was only a matter of time before I left so the headline of the piece the headline of the piece and it's probably the most interesting bit about it from a non-Watford perspective the Watford stuff's interesting but um is he doesn't watch football yeah never watches it no, can't be asked with it. When he's when yeah. he's not when he doesn't want to he doesn't want he doesn't want it in his life. He wants football to be his job and his his career, and he puts everything into that and whatever, and gets the instructions from the coaches on the opposition players and all that. But never sits down to to watch a game. No, Which but begs the question: How could... does he know what level he should be at? <laughs> it could be terrible if you've never watched a game, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's very true. I mean, that's always one that when you hear when you hear players say that, it does sort of make you think. Yeah, he's not really that into it, is he? He's not really yeah. that. And and let's be honest, he could do some amazing things on a football pitch. But there was always that thought in the back of my mind. I'm only speaking with my own my own uh, opinion here, but I always thought if he played full throttle all the time, he would have been incredible. It's a good and job, though, isn't it? You know, it's a good job that he doesn't that he you know that he isn't a, a man that watches every football match going. Because if he was, I don't think he would have pitched up at Vicarage Road probably <laughs> when he <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very true. Very true. Now, look, there's a, a couple of questions that I wanted to just quickly deal with. Um, that someone asked me about whether Troy Deeney was coming back for the Chelsea game. As I understand it, and I wrote about that when I caught up with Troy, he said that he was planning on coming back for the for the Chelsea game uh, this next week. So look out for him at the game. There's is also he, coming, is he few... coming back for the Elton gig? That's what I want to know. I would have thought he. I'm sure he could get probably on stage. Get a singing voice like, yeah, it's a singing voice like. 
He'll be there. Don't you worry. I'm sure he will be. But then also a lot of other questions. I've not done name checks. I'm sorry, but I just wanted to sort of scoot through as many as possible. A lot of people have asked, and this is with, you know, maybe Ishmael Assar in mind as well, um, what Watford are planning on doing for the Africa Cup of Nations. Now, I wrote a piece about that, just explaining all of the different situations and when teams are naming their squads and when they will have to check in, which is pretty much sort of December the 27th and all that sort of stuff on The Athletic. So dig it out. Um, just search Africa Cup of Nations, Adam Leventhal, The Athletic, and that piece will will pop up because it will explain a lot. And we will be waiting to see though who those players are that are actually going to be going um, because there is a little bit of a concern over Emmanuel Dennis. I'm hearing from one side of the... Th- one side... Oh yeah, he's he's definitely not going. I'm hearing from the other side. Oh, but we can't rule anyone out from selection. So that one's going to be playing his an, way in, isn't he? Well, yeah, but we just almost want him to just just I don't know. Behind he, behind the sofa, I think for the month of January. Yeah, I Christ, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But we'll, we will see. I think I don't know how much sort of bargaining there can be done with international federations and things like that. But we will we will see. Um, but yeah, just a quick reminder: if you haven't jumped on board with the Athletic, it's best to do it before this coming Monday and use the um, the from the rookery end link which is theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and then you'll get a pound per month for 12 months subscription for a, uh, a new customers so it would be great to have you on board and you'll be able to read about everything that we've been uh, talking about today and in the future as well gentlemen it's been great having you on board Mike thank you very much not at all just a quick one get well soon to mum she missed the Man United game on uh, on Saturday as well she was due to do, do go there but she's uh, she's struggling a little bit oh we wish her we wish her all the best we wish her all the very best because we want her there when uh, when Watford play Bournemouth next season it, it, it was due to be it was due to be Mum and Arlo there on on Saturday, and and that quite frankly would have been a terrifying prospect. They both get slightly aerated during uh, Watford fixtures, so perhaps it's a good thing it might have split Vicarage Road in two had they been there. So anyway, she, it's nothing serious. She's just, it's, uh, but just get well soon, Mum. Yeah, absolutely. And Dave as well. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Nice one, everyone. Look, we will, uh, fingers crossed, be uh, looking back on the Leicester game in the next episode with uh, as much positivity as we have been looking back on the Manchester United victory. That will be coming up in the next episode with John and the boys. And uh, I will be back next Thursday. Mike, you ever been to Hereford? I found you a cottage. (laughs) Book me in for two days. give you a call later. Please. (laughs) Cheers, pal. Take care, everyone. See you soon. The Athletic.